Chapter 18 The three of us turned around to watch as a police car and emergency squad raced down Main Street, breaking the tension. Wonder what that's all about. Mary Margaret got up and walked to the front window, craning her neck. Looks like they stopped at the hotel. I shrugged it off. Who knows? Probably some overweight bastard here on business dropped dead of a heart attack. I was more concerned that Sarah's parents could be the ones threatening her life. Who would do that to their own kid? I needed a break. Just some space and silence to figure out how all this fit together. Speaking of heart attacks, how about I run down to Lupe's and get us some lunch? Anybody up for some Mexican food? My mom packed lunches for Sarah and me. Chicken salad sandwiches, fruit salad, and homemade cupcakes. I'm listening to Farewell, My Lovely, on an audiobook. Sarah, you're welcome to listen to it with me. I caught Sarah rolling her eyes and suppressed a smile. My Nancy Drew was back. All she needed now was her fictional boyfriend, Ned Nickerson, to show up in his little coop. Let's add Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland to this mix and put on a show, why don't we? Okay, Sarah, you stay in the back where no one can see you. And don't answer your phone, I don't care who it is. Mary Margaret will find something for you to do. Unless it's Ambrosia or Barnes, we have no idea where Sarah Pelfrey is, and nobody searches this office without a warrant. Mary Margaret, keep an eye on the webcam. If anybody shows up at her door, you call me, you got it? I'll be back. Lupe's was about a four-block walk from my office, perfect for the time I needed to get my head around the idea that either Charmaine or Chase was threatening their daughter. Could control a full bore be that much of a driving force? I'd heard an adage from old-time business owners in Fawcettville. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. What that meant was the first generation builds the business, the second generation grows it, and the third blows it. That certainly could be what I was looking at here. Charmaine and Chase spent more than ten years trying to wrest control of full-bore drilling from each other, so much so that they'd ignored the effect of their battles on their daughter. Charmaine's efforts to transfer stock to Sarah may have looked like she was trying to protect her, but it was really an effort to save the company. Charmaine probably thought she could control Sarah on down the line, but then Sarah's addiction got out of hand, and that plan was down the shitter. So, she keeps her on a string by sending her a check each month, then Chase gets in on the game, or maybe he's always been part of it, bringing Sarah to Fawcettville, ostensibly to keep her sober as he drills for yet another failed oil strike. It's really an effort to keep her alive until she's 30 so she can inherit, or in the event that she doesn't stay sober and make a play for her shares. Both of them found out the hard way that their daughter may have reduced the number of active synapses in her brain, but the feral need to stay alive still functioned very well. So where does Tommy Lynn fit into all this? And who killed her? I kept walking. I walked past the Civil War soldier statue in the center of town, past the former Kleinman's department store, now a haven for local wannabe artists, and past the familiar downtown storefronts. In the last few years, they'd gone from deserted to thriving. I stopped in front of a real estate office. Listings of available houses, rentals as well as sales, were taped in the window in neat rows. Many listings had sold written across them in a red marker. A banner at the top of the window screamed mortgage rates at historic lows. Come in and see how easy homeownership can be. A couple years ago, this storefront had been empty, like most of the buildings around it, with faded paint curling on the walls and trash across the floors. 
Today, it was painted a trendy gray and filled with well-dressed real estate agents working the phones. The last time I talked to my brother, AJ, he said he'd mentioned how many folks were coming in to get pre-approval for home loans. And like it or not, in addition to all the strip clubs, the bars, the drugs, and the man camps, fracking had brought it all back. Home ownership was up, new car purchases were up, and every dumb fuck who could walk and chew gum at the same time had a job. Full-bore drilling was a small player in the number of companies operating in F-Town, and when it went belly-up, as anticipated, it probably wouldn't be more than a blip on this town's economic radar. The more reputable energy companies would probably welcome the exit. But what if another charlatan came in right behind full-bore? I thought about folks like James and Marta Nagy, whose devotion to Seoul came as a result of their daughter's leukemia, and Carlisle Wheelerson, whose attempt to bring more money into his struggling farm resulted in first-degree geological rape. But they would target Chase Hawksworth before they would target his daughter. It didn't make sense that Tony Repetto would target Sarah, even though his anger over the fraud he felt Tommy Lynn had perpetrated was palpable. Repetto was one smart wop. He wasn't going to do anything that jeopardized the cat's meow and the steady stream of money it brought in. He had an anger problem. He was a control freak, but... Something told me deep down, he wasn't a murderer. I still thought the theory of McComber confronting Sarah and somehow killing Tommy Lynn made the most sense. But where the fuck was he? Barnes hadn't said if he'd located him, so McComber was probably still on the run someplace. I would have heard if he was back in custody, either from Alicia or Barnes. I turned the corner again and heard Lupe's canned mariachi music wafting out into the streets from halfway down the block. In a few steps, I was at the door. I ducked inside, my nose filling with the smell of cumin and jalapenos, and slid into one of the high-backed orange booths again. Like most ex-cops, I sat facing the door. Any bastard who dared come in waving a gun wouldn't get the chance to ruin my meal, at least not more than once. A frazzled young waitress, who looked to be a local kid more than a family member, brought me a bowl of salsa and a basket of chips. Where's Lupe? The young girl jerked her head back toward the kitchen. She's still working the kitchen. We're short a cook. What can I get you to drink? Coffee. And keep it coming. Tommy Lynn's memorial service was scheduled for later this evening, and I had a good possibility of sitting up all night at Sarah's apartment. I'd need the caffeine. She returned with a steaming mug and a handful of individual coffee creamers. I didn't want them, but I didn't say anything. So, Mendez never came back. She shook her head and shrugged. What can I get you for lunch? I ordered a beef burrito with beans and leaned against the back of the booth. As I waited for my food, I brought up the webcam on my phone browser and watched the seconds click by on the screen's upper corner. Nothing. Nobody testing the knob, knocking on the door, or selling Girl Scout cookies. Then, from the booth behind me, I heard a familiar voice. So it looks like the Wheelison property is going to come up bupkis too. Is that what you're saying? Nash. I sat up straighter, turning my head so I could hear better. There was a deep sigh from somebody. Yeah, I bet Chase is going to have to lay off everybody come Friday. Some guy came in Monday yelling about a bad check. I've worked with Chase enough to know that's how he usually starts. The voice was familiar, high and nasal. I couldn't see his face. But I knew who it was. The young guy who leaned into my car window Monday at the full-bore drilling site. 
You know he'll say the same thing he said last time. God, if I could only get some cash, I'd be able to pay for another geological study. I swear I'm getting sick of this. This one was supposed to be a good geostudy. You can't swing a dead cat in eastern Ohio or western Pennsylvania without hitting oil or gas. Why can't Chase find it? I don't know. I think it's the same idiot from the main office in Oklahoma. Maybe it's Chase, Nash said softly. Nobody else has equipment trouble like he has. Nobody else has gotten sued up one side and down the other, either. Everybody and their brother wants to get in on the fracking business. Why can't he get investors? The waitress brought my lunch and sat it down in front of me. I mouthed my thanks and kept listening. Hawksworth told me he'd fired Nash after he'd beat up Tommy Lynn. Nash had confirmed that to me at his camper. Obviously, Hawksworth put Nash back on the payroll. Or never let him go. Why? I heard the insurance company is giving him some shit about his house burning down, too. The nasally boy barked out a sharp, sarcastic laugh. If they're smart, they are. Conversation stopped, and there was the sound of silverware scraping on plates. The younger man finally spoke. Are you and Chase still trying to find his crazy daughter? God, yes. I don't know where she's at. I've looked everywhere. Wasn't he supposed to meet us here? Yeah. I don't know where he's at either. Probably begging the bank for more money. Fuck, I hope so. He at least needs enough cash to make Friday payroll. Ah, look what time it is. We better get back to work. They spoke a few words about the bill and the tip. There was the sound of silverware striking dishes and boots scraping the floor. I pulled out my phone, pretending to look at it, shading my face with my hand as Nash and his co-worker walked by. My stomach turned as things began to fit together. Things were desperate at full bore. Another dry well, three lawsuits, no money, no investors. Chase Hawksworth needed Sarah's shares if he wanted to keep control of the company. And so did Charmaine, for that matter. But now it looked like he was willing to kill his own daughter for it. Burning down his own house, if that was true, also threw more suspicion on him and took it off McComer. Could also destroy any plans he may have had about taking back control of the company. He knew Tony Repetto. He knew his daughter worked there. He could pass those threatening notes Sarah found on her dressing table through Repetto, or, or Nash for that matter. Apps to alter voices were easy enough to find, and even though Sarah destroyed her phones when the calls started, she always gave her dad her new number, allowing the threats to continue. And if she used a burner phone, it was likely he did too, using one to make threats, and the other to play concerned Papa. Charmaine knew of the threats, too. She'd said as much. I wondered if she also suspected her ex-husband, despite her protests to the contrary. She also needed Sarah's shares to keep control of the company, but she wasn't desperate enough to kill Sarah for it. She'd get more out of her alive than if she were dead. I knew her type. A barracuda like her would work hard to control Sarah. If Charmaine had control of Fulbore again, even indirectly, she knew she could bring it back to profitability. The scenario surrounding Tommy Lynn's death was becoming clearer, too. McComber was out as a likely suspect, and Nash was back in. Mary Margaret was still listening to her audiobook at her desk and biting into the side of her homemade cupcake when I walked through the door. Where's Sarah? She jerked her thumb toward the back as chocolate crumbs collected in her braces. Anyone come in to see her? Any phone calls? 
Mary Margaret chewed as she shook her head. Then she swallowed quickly and pointed. That is, until now. I looked up toward the door. It was Ambrosi with Barnes right behind him. I need to speak to Ambrosi's client, Fitz, if she's here. Official business. Sure, I'll get her. What's up? It's her mother, Charmaine. Housekeeping found her dead in her hotel room. Gunshot to the chest. <laughs>